Hello, everyone. This is Vincent Pacillo, host of the MSU WMA podcast. We have another amazing episode planned for you today. We recently had Thomas Reimer. Thomas is a professor at Michigan State University who teaches finance and has had extensive experience working in the wealth management industry throughout his career and has even worked at some family offices. If you don't know what a family office is, you'll find out in today's episode. We also talked about his brand new book, Who Works For You, Let Your Money Work For You, and so much more. Really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the MSU WMA podcast. I'm here with Professor Thomas Reimer. Thomas, thank you so much for being on here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor, I must say. I've, I've been watching some of these podcasts, and I think they're fantastic. Thank you so much. But yeah, so kind of to get things going, so for those who don't know you very well, um, tell us a little bit about your background and what your career in wealth management has looked like. Sure. Uh, yeah, before I got to MSU about six years ago, I spent 20 years in the investment industry. I started out kind of, you know, where everybody starts out on at sort of the bottom of the of the ladder. Uh, I was analyzing accounts for a uh, for a broker for a private banking broker uh, who really didn't know he was a great broker. Uh, I mean, he was a, a great investment professional, but uh, he didn't even really know how to uh, report, do account reporting for like client presentations. So he brings me in and I thought, oh, hey, this is, this is easy. This is nice. It's interesting. And then he wanted me to start uh, analyzing mutual funds. I thought, oh, okay, this is not as easy, but yeah. also very interesting. And uh, that transitioned into uh, a career analyzing stocks. I actually uh, worked with Professor Schistel, um, uh for a number of years at a bank where we were analyzing stocks. He taught me a lot about how to analyze stocks. Uh, I try to tell people it's the other way around. I taught him everything he knows. Uh, no one believes that. So I kind of stopped uh, even you know trying that one. Uh, but actually, I learned a lot from him. And um, it just uh, kind of transitioned into more and more things. I went into portfolio management, worked for a family office in California where I was uh, managing portfolios for very, very wealthy people. Uh, with some very interesting things in their portfolios, uh, dealing with hedge funds and uh, private equity, all kinds of uh, things I, that really was kind of new to me. So that was very interesting. And then, um, you know, I, I wound up going into teaching, which I think was a, a great transition. But even so, I mean, I think wealth management, it, I had a great career in wealth management. I think it's a great career path for anybody to pursue. Cool. That's awesome. So what, what led you to your careers in financial advisory? Did the, was it something that you wanted to do when you were younger? Like you were a kid and you were like, I want to be a wealth manager someday. Or like, how did that kind of happen? Uh, I never really thought that, but I was interested <laughs> in investments. I was yeah. interested in stocks and I became interested in mutual funds. And I got into the industry by accident. I okay. was actually, uh, I was finishing up my undergrad degree. I was working for a law firm as a, a messenger, I don't know if, I don't think they have messengers these days. I think everything's done online, but I'd, I'd have to actually drive papers to the courthouse. And, um, uh, you know, just as a way to earn some money, um, you know, while I was in college and the firm broke up right, right about the time I graduated, the firm broke up. And one of the, the senior partners said, uh, you know, everybody's scrambling to find new jobs. What am I going to do? Yeah. And one of the senior partners said, well, my financial advisor is looking for an assistant. Would you be interested? I said, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so 
it, it, it turned out to be a great job. My very first day on that job, uh, I was analyzing the account and preparing a presentation for the account of a very famous uh, hockey player, Russian hockey player for the Red Wings. So nice. I, was, I was like, wow, <laughs> I landed a great job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that, that's super cool. So in your experience, what has been like a day in the life of an advisor look like? So you said that you worked in a family office. And I really want to get into that, like as we go on throughout the podcast, but like, mm-hmm. like, how does that look like? Or how does it vary between firms you've worked at? I think there's one common theme, and I always started the day by reading, uh, knowing what's going on in the market, knowing what's going on in the world too. Uh, you know uh, that affects you know what's happening in the markets. It helps to know okay what factors uh, are affecting that. So I think reading is um, a good way to start. Uh, then you know uh, you look at your schedule. Okay, what meetings do I have today? Um, when I was a portfolio manager, I would get a report in the morning of all my accounts that were out of alignment, you know, their allocation to stocks was too high or too low. Or, you right. know, and then I have to look at it and say, well, okay, do we need to rebalance this or can we wait or whatever? And, uh, you know, preparing for preparing for meetings. Uh, it, when I was more of an investment analyst, um, it, it was really kind of driven, but what I did that day was driven by my readings. And if I found something of interest where uh, I wanted to talk to a mutual fund company or a mutual fund manager. Uh, You know, a lot of that was, was based on what was going on in the world, what I thought, you know, I needed to be more aware of. Okay. No, that's awesome. Cool. Um, So going off of that, so what are some of the um, strategies or the ways that you best communicate with clients? Like when you have meetings or anything like that, like what are some of the mediums you use or like help them to prepare for a stable financial future? Well, um, all of my meetings, this, this was before the era of Zoom. I don't know yeah. if meetings take place on Zoom, but of course I would have, um, uh, you know, meetings face-to-face. And, uh, you know, I would like to go into the meeting as prepared as possible. So I would uh, prepare some remarks about what's going on in the world, what's going on in the markets. I'd want to be very familiar with their account. And, and you know, I, I think if you go into a meeting with a client uh, and, and it's obvious that you're prepared, and it's obvious that you want to help them. You know, I can't stress enough that I think uh, the best way to deal with clients is to let them know that you really care about their their financial future. You're there to help them. Yeah. Because the and I learned this throughout my career in wealth management. The the best uh, you know relationships are are formed uh, you know with with clients when when they know that you honestly really do want to help them. You're not trying to sell them something. You're not looking out for yourself. If you can, uh, you know, if you can really communicate to your clients that you are there to, to look out for their best interest, that means a lot that that makes up for a lot. You can be, you can be a little less prepared when it comes to knowing what's going on in the, in the markets. Um, you know, I've, I've known some financial advisors that were great at relationship building that maybe weren't the strongest investment people, uh, in the world. But they, uh, they, they knew how to, to build a relationship where both parties knew that, okay, we're, you know, th- this, the relationship between uh, the organization and the client uh, is, is mutually beneficial. Yeah. And we're here to help you. That, that goes a long way with clients. Absolutely. Like in, in all of these podcasts that we've had, that seemed to be the general theme is that like with, when it comes to wealth management, it's not so much how much you know, but it's how you gain trust with the client and how you relate to them. 
So totally agree with that. And you know, that I think is, that's a great thing to hear. And I think that's a great development because years ago, it really wasn't that way. You know, uh, when I got into the industry, uh, a popular tactic was cold calling. I don't, I don't know if that's still taking place. And, you know, you'd get, they, they, they'd hand you a phone book, you know, this thick and yep. you just start dialing numbers. And, you know, that wasn't about relationship building. That was yeah. just about selling and, you know, generating cash for the, for, you know, the, the caller. So uh, that's good to hear that that, yeah. that, that is becoming, uh, you know, a very popular theme. Now, do you think that the the introduction of the CFP model has changed that in, in, in the wealth management industry? I think so. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I think, uh, I think the CFP program sort of emphasizes that. And I think it, it's good to see that uh, you know, more and more people are pursuing that designation and, and other, de- you know, CFA is another great thing yeah. to pursue. Um, so yes, I would, I would credit the CFP program for, for that, for sure. Now, have you considered getting those in your career or like, like how has that ended up for you? I have, um, I thought about the CFA, uh, you know, I, I went through a time in my life where I was going through a lot of transit. It seemed like I would join a, a, an organization and then a year or two later, something would happen. And uh, they'd be downsizing, or I, yeah. I, I had to move around. Not, not because I wasn't successful in the job, but just I, I wound up going to to organizations that were just constantly in transition. Like the family office, um, I thought, you know, I moved to California. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live in California now. I'm yeah. going li- to, I'm going to work here the rest of my career. And a year later, they're on the brink of collapse. And then wow. it, I found another job, and they didn't even survive. You know, another year, they, they had to sell out. So uh, it seems like I've always been in transition and never had the time to study for the CFA because that requires a lot. That's a, that's a big time. It is. It is. It's a great thing to get. Um, And, you know, I was thinking about it right before I got hired uh, by Michigan state. Okay. And uh, I I found, I loved teaching and it, it was not easy to, to leave a career that I loved. But when, when the opportunity arose to to teach full-time Michigan State. Oh, I've, I've got to take this. Yeah. And so now I really don't have time to study for the CFA or the CFA. <laughs> right. I, mean, I thought about it and yeah, maybe I will at some point, but uh, not at the moment. I mean, yeah, exactly. No, no, that makes sense. And now because family offices are so much more st- like, like you're dealing with like such high caliber clients, so they usually right. require CFPs or CFAs or both, or like, how does that usually work in your experience? Um, a lot of them do. And I think some of the big national uh, family offices do. I was working for a small family office. We had 10 clients. It was in Orange County, California. And um, they found me through a headhunter. And a headhunter said, would you like to talk to them? First of all, I said, they said, would you like to work for a family office? I said, what's a family office? I, I yeah. didn't know at that time. And, you know, as I got to learn more about it, I thought, oh, hey, this is a pretty good opportunity. Uh, and it was, it was a great job. Um, but, um, they, they were happy to have me because of my experience and I Uh kind of impressed them that I could, you know, I could, uh, be an asset to the firm. Uh, but yeah, I think especially nowadays, more and more firms are, uh, are requiring some kind of designation. And I, I would encourage anyone that wants to pursue in wealth management to, to think very early along the lines of getting a designation like that. I gotcha. Okay, cool. Now, like, how does people at a, or like investors at a family office or clients at a family office, how do their investments and their like net worth investments or anything like that, how do they compare to traditional clients? 
Well, I saw a lot of interesting things in my time at the family office, but what really struck me, and this was the first week I was there, uh, we had our wealthiest client. He was a real, the real estate king of Orange County, you know, uh, and uh, you know, he had over a billion dollars with the firm. And I, I, would, I expected to see all manner of just crazy stuff in his account. And so the, the owner of the company set his account information on my desk and I opened it up and I saw two thirds of his, uh, of his uh, holdings with us were in index mutual funds. Wow. I did not expect that. I, was like, well, I kept seeing Vanguard, Vanguard, Vanguard. I thought, oh, wow. I, I thought that was great. Yeah. Uh, so he, he did have a lot of hedge funds and he had a lot of, he, he would go to, you know, cocktail parties at the club and they, and somebody would say, oh, well, I just sent a million dollars to whatever, you know, who, some goofy thing. And yeah. so he would call, he'd call me up and say, Hey, I heard about this thing. Could you uh, give him a call and check this out? And I would in 90, percent of the time it would be something I wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. So I'd exactly. call him and say, I'd say, oh, I don't like the look of this. He'd say, yeah, I, I, yeah, you're probably right. Just, just, just send them a half a million or so. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's something, it's not a good investment, but yeah, I'll just throw a half a million into it. Yeah. Um, so I, I did deal a lot with hedge funds. Uh, I dealt with companies. I wouldn't even know how to classify them. Just uh, there was one company that were, uh, it was two guys that used to work for Morgan Stanley that were, um, I can't remember their entire business model, but I know they were, they were providing off balance sheet loans to car dealers. And I thought, when I, <laughs> oh, wow. I thought and I thought, Oh no, run away. And yeah. but, oh, this, some of our clients thought these guys were great. And they, you know, they didn't have a, a high percentage of their, of their net worth in, in, in that, in that company, but I wouldn't have given them a penny personally, but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it was the kind of thing. I'll just send them a million. So yeah, <laughs> it might be nice to be able to do that. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I dealt with um, things that ordinary investors would not be able to get into things I'd never seen before. Haven't seen since. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting place to work. A family office. I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating place to work. Oh, I bet. I bet. Now, how, in terms of the amount of clients a family office will take on, what is, what's usually the range? Cause you were saying 10, but does it usually, is it usually around that amount? Some are one. I mean, some, wow. uh, some family offices deal with one family. Uh, and that's how this family office started out. And the family that started it, uh, you know, they met another family. So oh, we need a family office. And they said, Oh, you know, we could help with that. So it became two clients and then it became three and, and it went up to 10. They were very selective. I mean, when yeah. a client, uh, wanted to open an account with that firm, they were interviewed as much as they were interviewing the firm. And if the firm decided, if that family office decided, uh, this is not a good fit, they didn't, they, they didn't take the account. They were very selective. I thought that was very wise. We had nine people working there. We were very busy. And wow. to take on a client just, just for the extra revenue, but that we really couldn't adequately service and that might take away from other clients, that that would have been a very bad idea. I was very impressed by that when I when we had a, a, somebody come in that had a mere twenty five million to invest. <laughs> right, and, yeah, exactly. And, and they interviewed you know they interviewed him. And they and uh, said now this is not a good fit. I, I was I was impressed by that because I thought a lot of companies are just asset gatherers. Yeah. And they wind up not being able to to adequately help some of these clients. Uh, that that leads to bad things. Yeah. So 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 essentially you you, you have a. Few amount of clients you can serve mm -hmm. totally like 
you could t- put all of your assets and resources into those 10 companies and they'd be fully good to go. But then if you keep adding them, then it might be busy. And that kind of takes away from the aspect of, oh, I'm, I might not be able to service them anymore. So it really is an expression of, of customer service. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I even saw this when I worked for banks. There were, co- there were clients that we took on that we really couldn't adequately help yeah. them. They had yeah. needs we couldn't take care of. And the, the proper thing would have been to just tell them, you know, I'm sorry, but we can't, we can't help you uh, yeah. the, to the extent that you need. And, and maybe even try to help them find another advisor. I, I think that I think the goodwill that that generates is helpful to a company. But most companies that I worked for were reluctant to do that, but not the family office. And that was very wise. If we if we had taken on a client that would have just sapped all the resources of the firm with nine people working there, yeah, that could have destroyed the company. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now you mentioned hedge funds a little bit when you were talking about. Um, what, what people invest in the family office. Like, can you describe like what that is for people who don't really know what a hedge fund is and what those hedge funds look like? Yes. Well, from my experience, and it was fairly brief, I only, I only worked with hedge funds for about a year. Um, so it's an investment company that, and they're also very selective about who they can take yeah. on. Ordinary investors can't really get into hedge funds. They do all manner of stuff. And, uh, you know, investing, short selling, uh, just sometimes regular investing like they were a mutual fund. Right. Um, sometimes they won't tell you. I was very shocked by this. Um, uh, a um, one of our other clients, not our not our, our billionaire, but one of our other clients was interested in a hedge fund, and um, so he said, "Give him a call and find out a little bit more." And uh, you know, he said, I, "I really want to put some serious money into this potentially." And uh, I, I read the documents. Uh, they you know they did they did send me documents. I, I thought. I have no idea what they're doing. I mean, the yeah. documents were so vague. Okay, I, I, um, I have talked to somebody. I called them, and you know, because I at that point I had a lot of experience talking to mutual fund companies, and I could get on the phone with an analyst or even sometimes a manager, and they tell me exactly what their investment philosophy is, what their processes. They wanted you to know what what they were doing. Right. And so I called this this particular hedge fund, and I said, you know, I've read all the documents. I still don't really understand what you're doing. Can you explain it to me? Well, no. And I was shocked. I said, what do you mean? No, <laughs> don't tell people that. I, I, I don't thank you very much. Hung up the phone. I, I mean, I, I was stunned and, and hedge funds. There are hedge funds that do operate that way. So, I mean, they run the gamut of, of different strategies they might employ. They, it might be understandable. It might be something they tell you about and it might not. It was, it was a very strange world. I, I, I have to say, I left the family office not being a huge fan of hedge funds. Okay. I saw a lot of things going on and the, and the fees back then were astronomical. Now okay. I think they've come down, but I think they're still high. Um, you know, I, I think one and a half percent is, uh, is probably standard. That may be even low still. I, I saw hedge funds with like 3% fees. Sheesh. And then, and then if returns cleared a certain hurdle, now they're getting it. I think the standard back then was called two and 20. So they would get 2% of all assets under management as their fee. And then any returns that they earned above 20%, uh, they would get a huge percentage of that. I mean, that, that was very a very lucrative business to be in. Unfortunately, most of the hedge funds that, that uh, uh, we dealt with at the family office didn't even come close to the, the, the hurdle of, you know, uh, there were a lot of losses involved. I gotcha, I gotcha. I'm, I'm really not a fan of hedge funds, to be honest with you. 
Gotcha. Now, is a hedge fund like a mutual fund? And like, it's like a collection of companies that people invest in, but it's just very selective? It, it can be. Okay. Uh, I mean, hedge funds can do a lot of different. Yes, there were several hedge funds, many hedge funds, actually, that uh, that I talked to that we dealt with at the family office that were very, very similar to, to mutual funds. The only difference was you had to have a certain net worth. I, I, I can't remember what the restrictions were. Your income had to be a certain level. Your net worth had to be a certain level to even you know, be able to invest with them. But what they were doing was exactly like a mutual fund. Uh, interesting. Okay. Now, what would you say? Um, so this is kind of a two-part question, but kind of switching gears a little bit. Like, what would you say financial advising has taught you personally? And um, what is the most important qualities of a financial advisor? I think, well, I think I, I've already mentioned what I think is the most important quality. And that I think is being a good relationship builder. Mm-hmm. Re- truly having the best interest of your client, uh, you know, as the forefront of everything that you do and clients can see that and they know when that's not the case. Yeah. And so I think that, that actually is, it, it, as you said, you know, it, it, that's more important a lot of times than, than perhaps what, you know, Yeah. Um, but on the, having said that, I think it is important to know what's going on in the markets. I think it's important to know as much as possible about the investments that you deal with. Um, a lot of, of wealth managers work for firms where they might have a buy list or recommended list. Um, don't rely on the investment analyst necessarily to send you talking points. Uh, I spent a lot of my career doing just that, pre- uh, preparing talking points for portfolio managers that really, uh, their job that, as they saw it was to memorize the talking points. I don't, I, I, you can do that. And yeah. I mean, you can be successful doing that. I don't know. I think it's better to, to, to have, as, uh, you know, a good base of knowledge about all the investments that you're going to talk about, not just reading, not just memorizing and, and reciting something that somebody else has, has told you. Yeah. Um, so I, I think those are, are two keys. Um, and, and, and being organized, uh, you know, especially if you have a lot of accounts, you, you don't want accounts to kind of slip through the cracks and then six months later, we realize, oh my goodness, the, the alignment is way out of, uh, it, it, the, 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 it's, the, the account is way misaligned here. And uh, oops, I didn't, I didn't see it and didn't do anything about it. And clients tend to not be real thrilled about that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, you know, some, some organizations have good client uh, or customer relationship management programs. Some have none. I've been, uh, I, I've been at firms where their system was Excel. Good luck. Build your own spreadsheet, uh, you know, and, and and that's it. Well, whatever whatever you have to work with, just use it. Be organized, and uh, you know, take care of your customers and know and know your customers. Know their know what their needs are. That that one that, that's a key phrase in wealth management. Know your customer. Know your client. That, that it's 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 said often for a reason. It's very important. Awesome, awesome. So. Is there something that people should know um, about financial advising that isn't talked about enough? You think? You know, I think it's. I, I think what it is, and and uh, well, my thought on, on that, it seems like uh, maybe it is being talked about more, and that is just having good relationship building skills and yeah. and and, and uh, having the customer's best interest at heart. Um, because when I was in the industry, it wasn't talked about enough. It wasn't done enough. It, it, it sounds like uh, now that's that may not be the case, but that that is one thing. If it, if uh, if somebody isn't hearing that enough, well, they need to hear it more because I think that really is 
uh, a, a strong key to success in wealth management. Interesting. Okay. Now definitely switching gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk more about your book. I mean, you just wrote a book, um, and I really enjoyed it and I'm sure many other people will as well, but talk us through like what, what the book is, what it's about and what Mm -hmm. inspired you to, to write it. Yeah. Well, the reason I wrote it, it it was because of Michigan state. I was, it was my, uh, my first semester at Michigan state. I taught one section of financial management in at night. And, uh, I noticed that every time I brought a personal finance topic up in class, people were more engaged. And then I started getting, uh, students after class coming up to me saying, we wish you'd talk more about personal finance because it's really interesting and we're not getting enough education about it. And I thought, well, that's strange. I mean, there's a jillion books out there about it. And there's even a class at Michigan state, excuse me. And, um, I thought, well, I don't understand, you know, why they're saying that. And I talked to people and they said, well, you know, I took the class, didn't get much out of it. I've read some of the books and, you know, I don't know, they, they just weren't interesting to read. So I decided to, to write a short sort of conversational, uh, even, you know, throwing humor and personal examples and sort of, I mean, that's the way I teach my class as well. And um, just something where you, you read it and you, and you feel like you're actually talking to me or I'm talking to you. Yeah. It would be me talking to you. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and I, I'm pleased to get that kind of feedback that that's exactly how people felt when they, uh, when they read the book. So my purpose in writing it was to get, uh, you know, practical information out there in a, in a, in more of an easy to read format. Yeah. Uh, there's, cause there are a lot of great books out there. Some of them are large, some of them are kind of dry. And I, I, so I decided to go uh, a different direction, make it a little bit more humorous, a little bit more interesting and make it a, a quick, you know, a quick read. Awesome. No, I mean, and that's, and I definitely got that, especially for someone who doesn't really know about like diversification or bonds or stocks mm-hmm. or what equity is, all of that kind of stuff, like all the important stuff that you should know before you invest. It's a really good starting book for people just to understand the basic concepts. And I really think you nailed that, which is awesome. So, um, but what, what made you passionate about personal finance? Like, you know, I, I think what made me uh, more passionate about uh, in, kind of enhancing my career and then eventually writing a book and I'm, uh, I'm doing a follow-up book too, to that cool. book, Get a little bit more detailed, uh, a little bit more maybe advanced. Um, but I think where I, when I really started to get passionate uh, about personal finance was after I had already been in the industry and I was seeing people that were really in a lot of financial trouble. Yeah. And I saw what, you know, the, the bad things that can happen in people's life when their personal finances are in disarray, when people are in too much debt. I, I've seen, I've seen people with 15 credit card accounts. Uh, that does not do good things for your finances. Um, I, I, you know, so I thought, and then, and also, uh, I started dealing with 401k programs at uh, a bank I was at in Wisconsin. And I started uh, having meetings with some of the uh, like uh, factory workers, for example, that really didn't have a lot and they wanted to save more and they didn't know anything about investing. And I, I loved talking to them because I thought I can help them build their financial future because they want to, they yeah. just don't know how to do it. And so I saw opportunities like this to help people that 
uh, were in trouble, to get out of trouble, to, to improve their life. I mean, it, it, it can destroy people's lives to, to be in uh, you know, bad financial shape. And so between those people and the, the 401k participants, I thought, you know, I, I'd really like to start making a difference in, yeah. in people's lives. And so that I just got more and more passionate about telling people about personal finance from that. And the other thing too, is that I'm, I'm really seeing this and people from WMA have been seeing this as well. And one of the things we want to do is for like one of our case study days is to have like a personal finance series because not enough people, I think, are getting enough knowledge or because like this is your entire life. As soon as you graduate college, money is how you get through everything. Like it's how you pay for your bills and your, your, your rent or mortgage, whatever you need to do. And if people don't know how to like pay off debt properly or like people just don't know. So I feel like it's super important to know. And oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like anything in life. I mean, you're not born with financial knowledge. I mean, yeah. you're not born with not, and so, you know, uh, that's why people go to, to universities. That's why people read. And, and so I, you know, I want to contribute to, to knowledge and personal finance. Yeah, exactly. No, that's awesome. So what would you say to anyone who is considering the financial planning profession? Maybe they're considering accounting or finance and they just think that this might be a cool career to go on. Um, like, what do they need to know? Well, uh, first of all, I would suggest doing a lot of reading. I think that's a key concept. I mean, uh, not only reading about what's going on in the in the markets, what's going on in the world, but get a book about what, uh, if you're if you're interested in a, a particular career path. There are books out there. Uh, re- do some reading. Do some research. Talk to people that are in the industry. I think that's a that's a big key. Yeah, I'm I'm happy when somebody comes into my office and says. I'm thinking about wealth management, maybe a career in wealth management. Can you kind of tell me about it? I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to talk to people about that. So I think seek out people in that profession that you might be interested in and find out what, what's their typical day like. A lot of the questions you've asked me are good questions uh, you know, for, for people to, to ask for other professionals if they're interested in you know, whatever career path. So I think learn, research, read, talk to people. Those are the keys. Cool. That awesome. So any general advice now um, to kind of end this podcast, like what would you say if there's any, like, do you have any advice for WMA members or any of our listeners? Well, I, I, there is one thing uh, I, I will say. Uh, I, I see a lot of new developments in the investment industry right now. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. Uh, just learn how to invest the right way. I see a, a lot of people, a lot of uh, students actually asking me about things like options. Yeah. Now, I never tell people don't buy options. I always or, or Bitcoin or things like that 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 carry you know a, a significant amount of risk. I never say to anybody, well, don't you know run away from that necessarily. But what I always say is know what you're getting into, and that mm-hmm. I think is a I think that's a good piece of advice for everybody know what you're investing in. Yeah. Uh, oh, if you want to buy Bitcoin, for example, I'm not saying don't do it, but, ju- but don't do it with your rent money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. To buy something. So I think that that is, that's the one piece of advice I would give is know what you're getting into. And that's the one thing that I really got out of your book too, is because you really go into detail about investing versus speculation. And I think a lot of these things that people are calling investing we all know what it is but yeah. it's 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 purely speculation because it's not backed up by data it's not backed up by any type of knowledge it's all kind of just it's all emotionally based like oh i see other people doing it so i'm going to do it too 
but they don't know what it is that they're investing. It's just like they just want to be, they want to hop on the train. So oh, yeah. I actually had a question when I was in Russia uh, from somebody that said, oh, I'm, I'm interested in foreign exchange. As yeah. an, and I said, well, as an investment, no. Uh, if, if you want to gamble and speculate on that, that's fine. But don't think, don't, don't put your investment, don't think you're investing in something for solid for your future because it's a gamble. Yeah, I'm not, exactly. I didn't say don't do it. I just, it's like, do it with money that you can afford to lose. Exactly. That is the key to being a successful investor, knowing what's an investment and what isn't and knowing what money to put in, in different, you know, different types of things that you can, I don't want to say invest in, but you can put your money into. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Now for anyone who is interested in the concept that we just talked about, along with several others, the book is called who works for you, let your money work for you. Where's it available on? Uh, right now it's only available on Amazon. I'm looking to sort of expand uh, the network of, uh, you know, places that offer it. Uh, and I'm also working on a book that I'm titling uh, Building Lifetime Wealth. Nice. Uh, and that uh, will be available through the same channels. I'm, I hope to have that finished in the next month or two. Cool. No, that's awesome. And we'll put a link to that um, in the description. But Professor Reimer, thank you so much for being on here. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. If you like what you just heard, please like, comment, and share. This is Lance Mullen, producer of the MSU WMA podcast. MSU WMA or Michigan State University Wealth Management Association is a student organization part of the Eli Broad College of Business located in East Lansing, Michigan. Our mission is to inspire and educate the next generation of financial planners. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed, please check out our channel on all platforms such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts and check out our social media at MSU WMA and msuwma.com.